What's up, y'all? It's Corbin again. And I'm not saying welcome to the NBA Aficionado podcast or welcome to the Round Ball Ramble podcast because I took an episode where I rebranded to the NBA Aficionado podcast, right? And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm i going to walk that back a little bit because I am the NBA Aficionado and the WNBA Aficionado and the Big Three Aficionado. Like, that's who I am, right? Round Ball Ramble, at its core... It's still a show where I ramble about the round ball. It was a play on round ball rock. If you listen to the NBA and NBC theme song back in the day, or listen to it now on YouTube, that is what the name of the song is. I thought it was a cool twist on that name. And you know what? It still is. And I think in trying to change the name of the show, I was trying to rebrand to a more serious deep dive focus. And I thought about it, and I realized that, I could still change it to a serious deep dive focus while still keeping the original name of the show. And so that's what I'm going to do for this season. Now, next season, if you're the NBA Aficionado podcast, you already know what it is. But for right now, I say again, hello. Allow me to reintroduce myself. <laughs> My name is Corbin. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, same on Instagram. And welcome to yet another episode of the Roundball Ramble Podcast. We are part of the Sports Ethos family of podcasts, so definitely check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, online, sportsethos.com. Pretty simple, already said it. I am pumped to get back to the bread and butter of this show. Recapping the previous night's action, looking forward to today's current slate of games, celebrating the birthdays of NBA and WNBA players, both current and former, and giving them their moments in the sun. Playing some of the new daily basketball kind of games that have popped up since I've done the show regularly, namely Pirtle, the NBA naming game, as well as the Play Soups, a GM challenge, which if you've ever played the build a roster with $15 from this XYZ player, that's what that is. And I'm excited to kind of work that through with y'all here as well. Also incorporate... um, some fun trades and such that I see on Twitter. Give my takes. Ask for y'all's. You know how it goes. So that's going to be coming real soon. I am excited for that. But right now, it's been a minute since we've been on here regularly. Some stuff is caught up. You know, I'm set back two weeks of NBA basketball in terms of daily recaps and the like. So we're just going to do a week two takeaway. I made some bold claims on what I thought the season was going to be like so far. Let's base that off of what's actually going on and get up to speed. For the regular show. So sit back, relax, and settle in for some round ball ramble. in November, and it's been two weeks in the NBA season. It's kind of crazy to me. Feels like all summer, I was like, cannot wait for the season to start. Cannot wait for the season to start. What am I supposed to do? In retrospect, there's a lot of things I could have done. <laughs> um, but I got a lot of basketball GM in. You know, I actually got a break from basketball, which at first, you could have told me this in, I don't know, let's say 
just before this past summer, I would have thought that was ridiculous. A break from basketball, like, ball is life, let's go. But nah, it was really, really good to take some time away. Um, I almost thought about leaving altogether. I was kind of like, you know what, this has been a fun deal, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to kind of reassess, take a little bit of time. I think I did. Uh, enough to realize that, hey, you know, I still want to do this in some capacity, and this is the only outlet that I have right now at my disposal, so let's keep going at it, you know what I mean, but yeah, it was nice to focus more on family, I mean, I still play a basketball uh, video game, the basketball GM, y'all know and know I love that game, so I still did that, brought my Lakers a couple championships, you know how it goes, but yeah, it was definitely an interesting summer, I'm away from basketball, and then all of a sudden, all at once, boom, we're right back in the thick of it, you know, Lakers, Warriors, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, all the drama in Brooklyn, newsflash is still drama in Brooklyn, just all sorts of stuff, and so it's funny that, yeah, by the time this drops, we will be officially in week two of the NBA season, and already so much has happened, and also not a whole lot at all, it feels like. We gotta start where I really don't wanna start, but... We have to start in Brooklyn. So, Brooklyn is in turmoil right now. Yesterday, they fired head coach Steve Nash after, yeah, a pretty pathetic start that I still feel he is going to take an outsized portion of the blame for. But, I mean, let's face it, the Brooklyn Nets have just not been a good basketball team. And when you're a team led with two superstar star talents in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you expect to be better than 13th in the Eastern Conference. It kind of just is what it is there. However, that doesn't mean that it's right. And for a team with championship expectations like the Brooklyn Nets have, being 2-5, and five, uh, two and six. Now they lost the game following the dismissal of Nash to the Chicago Bulls, one hundred eight to ninety nine, behind a massive fourth quarter onslaught by Zach Levine. But being two and six isn't in the cards. But the Brooklyn Nets are the franchise. A lot of things hasn't been in the cards for them recently. Um, of course, Kyrie Irving in his latest media, social media escapades. It. it, it I don't even know the words to describe what the last couple of days have been like concerning Kyrie sharing a movie that was laden with dangerous tropes a couple of days ago here on Twitter um, and the outrage and response that people have had against that. And for the most part, those people have bigger platforms than I do. They've spoken more eloquently on the situation than I can. And... Just to be totally frank with you, there's no new ground being broken here. I feel like when it comes to Kyrie and other polarizing figures, and maybe it's just a media thing, but you can't bring up that person's latest mishaps or whatever the case may be without bringing up everything that came before that. So right now, Kyrie and the video he shared on social media is being discussed and and talked about in terms of how dangerous that was for him to share and why he shouldn't and whether his um, apology is actually an apology and how heartfelt he is and what steps he's going to make to that. But you also have folks going from that, this latest incident, to looking back to Kyrie and the New World Order video they shared by Alex Jones, which I don't have to say any of this stuff is irresponsible and reckless because it is, but here I am as a prerequisite, right? So you have that 
being brought up. And then you have his refusal to take the COVID vaccination last season being brought up. And then you have his believing the earth is flat from a couple years ago being brought up. So all this stuff is just being regurgitated again and again and again. And, and I'm kind of over it, to be honest with you. Like, I get it. Um, until there is a discipline or a reaction from Kyrie that is new, I don't see what there is to add to this, in my opinion, for me, myself. Like I said, there have been so many pieces and podcasts and articles written about it, that uh, written and, and recorded about it, that I really don't have to add anything in that way. But I will say one thing. I just because I haven't seen a lot of this on social media and I have been looking is the link that Kyrie shared to this video with the dangerous tropes a lot has been made on Kyrie for sharing that for influencing all of his followers on Twitter and Instagram I get it a lot of people can have impact and are impacted by the things that he shares what I'm curious about is that the link that he just took down after having it on for quite a few more days than I thought he would, was a link to Amazon. Yes, Amazon is one of the biggest retailers in the world. They're right up there with Walmart, if not the biggest. And they are promoting, or not promoting, but they have this video with these dangerous tropes that affect a lot of people available for sale. Where is the outcry and outrage on a seller like Amazon for having that so easily accessible. It's not like Kyrie tweeted a link from a little-known YouTube video. It's not like Kyrie, you know, had on the inventor of this video for, like, a think piece or anything. No, he got a link from Amazon, one of the biggest retailers in the world, and it's just as simple as clicking on that and you obtaining one of those discs or books for yourself. I just haven't seen that same energy toward Amazon for having that available like that. If it being as dangerous as it is, also being as easily accessible. Amazon Prime, get it the next day. So so where is the, 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 the word on that? I've been looking, and I haven't seen it. Uh, the closest I've got to is one tweet that basically said it goes out saying that Amazon shouldn't have it. But that's the thing. It, it doesn't go without saying because no one's saying it. And, and and no one saying it doesn't make it go away. I, I don't understand that logic there. Because it doesn't go without saying. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. You absolutely have to say it. So they absolutely can take it off of their inventory, off of their website, if it's a huge deal as it seems to be. Because otherwise, it's all on Kyrie for sharing it, and I get the outrage there. But again, this wasn't a little-known link. This wasn't a StreamYard or a SoundCloud or anything like that. This was Amazon. Is it easier to hate on Kyrie than Jeff Bezos? I I don't know. I don't know. And and this is all an open-ended question. I'm just wondering where the energy is for that. That's all. It just seemed like a question to ask because I haven't seen it. And I was just curious. But that's all I got to say about that. Listen, y'all, Brooklyn is just, it's not just Kyrie, although (laughs) a lot of it is Kyrie right now. It's the fact that, like I mentioned, the defense is horrific. Ben Simmons is either hobbled or mentally not the same player or both. And listen, not being the same player, he's had a year off basketball, right? And a lot of social media 
has been tagging him things. He airballs a layup. It's on Sports Illustrated the next day. He misses seven, you know, jumpers or whatever. There's a compilation of it on YouTube. Like, that stuff can mess with your head. It definitely can. Listen, I'm nowhere near a pro athlete, but I feel like in high school I played decently well. I would consider myself like a jack-of-all-trades kind of player. Decent shooter. I think I shot like 34% from three in high school. But I played like a Sean Marion in my mind. And I definitely had a jump shot like Sean Marion. I just never grew out of it. Starts at the base. Base to come up from my chest. Legs stick out. It was pretty effective. I'd say it's a cross between a Sean Marion and a, Ken, and a Kevin Martin. And I kept that shot. And my coach tried to shoot me out of it. And I couldn't. It was just a shot I felt comfortable taking. And I made it at a pretty decent clip that I kept going. Right? Well, I made two all-star games during my high school uh, career, and one of those high school games was fine, played well, whatever the case may be. The second one, I remember succinctly, because it had a profound impact on me. I was shooting around, we are doing our shooting rounds, and I went to take a break to kind of, you know, sit down, retie my shoes, lace them up, whatever, and one of the guys went up and shot a jump shot, and one of them goes, that's a ugly jump shot, oh my god, and I remember going, oh, and like, it was almost as if for the first time, and I'd heard comments here and there about my shot from other people, but it was usually opponents I'm playing, and with the shot going in, what you gonna say, it make me kind of, like, you can't, can't say nothing to face me, of course you're gonna say something, but at that moment, I remember exactly when I was like, whoa, like, yeah, my shot don't look pretty, like, <laughs> shoot maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't be shooting that shot like it threw me off my game it was that one innocuous comment to somebody else that threw me off my entire game after that your boy was petrified to shoot before games I want people to see how my shot looked before I played you know I changed the way I played I have wide open threes but I want to see them uncork this sidewinder shot or should I just attack the basket and kick for a closeout you know like it changed the way I was and this was like, what, senior year? It, it really messed with me. And mind you, I mean, I still got the same shot. I'm a lot more confident in it now because, one, I've seen some ugly jumpers since then. I'm looking at Alonzo Ball. I'm looking at Cameron Payne. I'm looking at a few guys that might could fit in among the ranks. <laughs> but also, I feel like I'm more mature in a different headspace. And the maturity is just high school teasing or high school comments and oh my gosh it's gonna be big because high school that's one thing altogether. that doesn't apply to ben simmons ben simmons by all accounts um except for some thoughts here and there for how he's conducted himself over the past couple of seasons is a mature individual it's all about the headspace if you don't feel comfortable being an offensive weapon because you still have the yips from you know passing up an open dunk to get matisse Thybulle the ball two years ago in the playoffs like that probably hasn't gone away, which is why when Kyrie drives to the basket and kicks a pass out to Ben Simmons to finish, instead of finishing over the top, he's trying to pass the ball behind him to give it to Kevin Durant for a jumper. Like, yes, is it the right basketball play? No. Is it easier to finish at the rim? Yes, but in your headspace, like, if it's not in a good space or you don't feel comfortable doing that, you're not going to do that. And so, I support Ben Simmons 100% as he tries to get back to the player averaging 16 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists, you know, doing it all, impacting the game on all levels, not just being a screener and a passer, not just being someone who plays on the dunker spot, but somebody who also can finish at the basket, had a little bit of a hook shot, even uncorked uh, um, a mid-range J, ugly as it was every once in a while. 
Like, I'm rooting for that player to come back. But as of right now, you know, it's just hoping that he can get back to that form. The unfortunate thing is that the Brooklyn Nets are so top-heavy in terms of star talent that Ben Simmons, who, remember, was traded for James Harden, was supposed to be that player. And even though he's trying to find his way to being that player, the Brooklyn Nets need him to be there a little bit faster. Four, six, and eight isn't going to do it for them. Not when you're losing by 10 points because your defense sucks. Ben Simmons has fought out a couple of games. That's another underrated kind of part of his struggle so far. It's not even not underrated. It's just part of his struggle so far. Kyrie and KD have an outsized role in the offense. Joe Harris still trying to find his way back from injury. Seth Curry still trying to find his way back from injury. Royce O'Neal's been solid, but isn't really the regular offensive contributor that the Nets need right now. And defensively, they can't hold water. They just can't right now. Teams are just going bananas on them. You've had teams like Indiana. Ben Mather went off for a career high. And we're talking wide open spot up threes from the corner pocket. Like, we ain't even talking like, oh, I'm really working to get my offense together with the outstretched hands of a defender. Now I'm talking get the ball, quick warm-up dribble. I right, set my feet. We got a three. That was Indiana. <laughs> Chicago, Zach Levine just made mince meat out of them. Brooklyn, I mean, um, Milwaukee. I mean, listen, Giannis is a tough cover to begin with, but Giannis had 40-plus, you know, dang near 20 rebounds. And it wasn't just him cooking. It was other it was other Milwaukee Bucks as well because Brooklyn couldn't stop a soul. Those are the issues right now that their new coach will have to deal with. And who will their new coach be? I mean, you would think after just the firestorm that the Brooklyn Nets have had to endure in the media due to their own poor play, due to the Kyrie Irving saga, due to everything that's swirled around since KD demanded and then rescinded his trade request. You would think that you would go for a stable coach who has been around for a bit, cool, level-headed demeanor, someone who doesn't have any skeletons in his closet, that you can definitely move forward with without bringing a new array of questions concerning conduct and character and just focus on riding this Brooklyn ship and getting them from the seller of the Eastern Conference back to the upper ranks where they deserve to be. That's what you think you would look for in qualifications for a coach. Someone who's been around the block, a little experience, held in high standing. Someone trying to get back into coaching, maybe just waiting for the call. A guy like that. Defensive leanings, that works okay. Tell you one coach is on the market, just won a championship two years ago, Frank Vogel. Is he the guy for KD and Kyrie when he wasn't the guy for LeBron and AD? <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying all that. But respected for the most part, yes. Defensive-minded, absolutely. Championship experience, you betcha. All of that's in his favor. So surely the Brooklyn Nets went for a, play, for a coach like Frank Vogel, right? Because that would make some sense in terms of where they are, where they want to be, and what they want to avoid, which is more needless media just chaos around them, right? Well, no. That's not what happened. According to ESPN, sources say the Nets are moving towards hiring Ime Udoka as head coach. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The Brooklyn Nets are finalizing a deal to hire suspended Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka. And a formal agreement is expected to be reached as soon as... Well, today, we'll see about it. That is wild. That is wild to me. Boston is not requiring draft compensation from Brooklyn to hire Udoka, which makes sense because let's not forget why Udoka was suspended to begin with. 
for the whole season, I might add, for an improper relationship with a subordinate before training camp. So Boston basically like, hey, take him. He ain't our problem anymore. We don't want nothing. You taking him is reward enough for us. That's basically what it's coming off as, right? Brooklyn is just undaunted. They're going to move on with it, which I, I, I again, surprised. Uh, again, Boston sources say never plan to stand the way of Adokas accepting another coaching job because Boston's like, hey, you messed up over here, and what you did was egregious from what I've heard. Still ongoing investigation, but not cool. If you're suspended for the entire year, that means, listen, like, you messed up, buddy. But here, go on to somewhere else where you don't have to face the consequences of your actions, because that's fine. And yes, I get it. Udoka has had a long history with Nets general manager Sean Marks from back when they worked together with the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, Udoka was an assistant for one season under Nash back in 2020-2021, before he went to the Celtics. And according to the Nets, which, there you go, I think that says enough, the Nets have been vetting the circumstances around Udoka's suspension and, get this, believe he can tighten up the league's 29th-ranked defensive team and command leadership in a difficult locker room. Let me read that again for you. Okay, ready? The Nets have been vetting the circumstances around Udoka's suspension. Great, got that. They've been really looking into it. And believe he can tighten up the league's 29th-ranked defensive team and command leadership in a difficult locker room. Let's put those two together. Oh, they don't, they don't go together? Vetting his circumstances and tidying up the least 29th ranked defense. Circumstances for improper relationship. Least 29th defense. Brooklyn Nets. What are you to do? This is what they've decided to do. I'm just lost. The report goes on to say the independent law firm probe into Udoka found that he used crude language in his dialogue with the female subordinate before the start of an improper workplace relationship with the woman. An element that significantly factored into the severity of his suspension. Those investigative findings, which described verbiage on Udoka's part that was deemed especially concerning coming from workplace superior, contributed to what was an unlikely pathway to his reinstatement as Celtics coach in 2023. The power dynamic associated with the superior's improper relationship with the staff member was the primary finding and policy violation cited in the law firm's report, which was commissioned by the Celtics and completed in September. And end quote on all that somehow brooklyn looks at that and says yes that's exactly what we need let's bring him over now this was before the nets capped off just a straight up chaotic day by blowing the lead to the bulls with Kyrie irving putting together just four points now is it the stuff from off the court that is coming into play for Kyrie? Is it the Bulls' lockdown defense? Surely not. Um, Kyrie, 23 points per game score. Entered Tuesday, averaging 30 points per game. On Tuesday, shot 2 for 12. And guess what? Because of his initial uh, comments from his media mishaps and his verbal sparring match with ESPN's Nick Friedle, we won't hear about why he struggled because the Nets have basically hit him from the media. This is the second straight day of doing so in an effort to, quote-unquote, let him simmer down. Now, I didn't say that. Simmer down? This ain't, this ain't a pot on the stove. <laughs> Who's simmering? This is Sean Mark's words. Straight from his mouth. Quote, he did not do media last night. He's not going to do media tonight. We don't want to cause more fuss right now with more interaction with people. Let's let him simmer down. Let cooler minds prevail. All right. All I'm saying is just a rough game. Just a rough game altogether. 
rough season for Brooklyn. Right now, the on-court team looks much like the chaos outside of it. Just unpredictable and, however you slice it, a straight-up mess. And the sad thing is the Nets start off really hot. They had a decent halftime lead. Uh, Kevin Durant was their guy really carrying their weight. And they extended a little bit into the third quarter, and the Bulls just kept hanging around, hanging around in the fourth quarter. Started just pressing on the gas. Started with a 17-2 run, and then outscored the Nets 31-19 in the final quarter. As Zach Levine, like I said, just torched a defense that, to be fair, had not been capable of stopping anyone before that. Uh, outscored the Nets by himself with 20 points. What did Ben Simmons do? Nothing, because told you he was hobbled. Um, he watched from the bench with what the Nets have described as knee soreness. So, it's been bad. But also, like I mentioned, if he was playing, Ben Simmons wasn't going to provide the firepower that Brooklyn needs right now. Because he's only averaging 6 points per game on 5.7 field goal attempts. And their defense? Yes. Dirt poor. 29th out of 30 through 7 games. Guess how many Simmons has played? Six of them. So, even though Simmons is a defensive-minded player, you're really not getting the type of production that you need from him on both ends. So, I'm kind of bouncing all the way around here. Only guy who is not a whole lot to talk about is Kevin Durant. Part of that is because he made all his noise during the offseason with the trade request and the rescinded trade request. For the season, 34 points per game, or 32 points per game, 52% from the field, 34% from three, five boards, four assists, a steal, two blocks. Katie, doing a lot. Age 34, but father time is undefeated. And just like we saw, we'll get to that in a little bit here, in L.A. with LeBron, you know, KD can always put these numbers. But normally, that means his team's in a very good position to win, not hopelessly out of it. And right now, I'm not saying they're not out of it, but I'm not saying they're not, not out of it. Do with that information what you will. Let's go <laughs> to the rest of this year and the week two takeaways. Kind of do a little bit of a recap of the NBA standings and where we are. So, if you would have told me, in fact, let me just tell you what I had as my Western Conference standings, my top five. The Los Angeles Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, and the New Orleans Pelicans. That's right, number one was the Clippers, two the Warriors, three the Suns, four the Nuggets, and five the Pelicans. I was only right on one of those five. And it was number five, the Pelicans, who sit at fifth right now. The Suns, I had as my number seventh team. Don't know why, by the way. I really, really leaned into some off-court turmoil that really doesn't seem to exist with a well-oiled offensive and defensive machine that Phoenix has been, who are 6-1 and one now, having won their last five, 5-0 five and oh at home. That was crazy of me. So they're number one. Number two might surprise all of us, if we didn't know, is the Portland Trailblazers, who are 5-1. and one. They were up there in my number 12 ranked team. But they're number two here. Number three, who I could have swore was going to be 13th or 14th, the Utah Jazz. That's right. Utah Jazz are 6-2. and two. Larry Markkinen playing out of his mind, but it's so much more. Malik Beasley shooting a three at a high clip. Jordan Clarkson bringing some great offensive firepower. Um, off the bench, Colin Sexton being young bull. Surprising, but there they are at third. Number four, my number 14th team, the San Antonio Spurs. That's right. Two teams I thought were going to be in the cellar of the Western Conference are three and four respectively at the top of the West. 
Now, do I expect San Antonio to last long there? Not really, but then I guess you could say the same for Utah as well. But right now, that's where they are. And number five, the Pelicans. To continue on, number six, the Nuggets. Seven, the Grizzlies. Eight, the Thunder. Nine, the Timberwolves. Ten, the Mavericks. Eleven, the Clippers. Twelve, the Warriors. Thirteen, the Kings. Fourteen, the Lakers. And 15, the Rockets. And the Rockets are probably the only certain thing I had, which is hilarious. Had them as 15th, and they're currently sitting 15th. The West right now is wacky. That is my one takeaway right now. Outside the Phoenix Suns, who, again, I was being bold in thinking that they wouldn't be among the upper echelon of the West. Now I'm looking insane, but I was thinking I was being bold. Every one of these teams, you didn't expect to see here. The Pelicans, I'd say, was safe to say between 5 and 6. But the Blazers, Jazz, Spurs, no. And if someone told you that, they're a liar. Unless they have the proof. Timestamp to prove it. <laughs> so I don't even know what to make head or tails of that. While on the other end of the spectrum, you look at teams like the Warriors, like the Clippers, who have really struggled to find their way. Clippers took a game winner from Paul George uh, two nights ago over the Houston Rockets to end up with the record they have right now of 3-4, and four while the Warriors went down last night to the Miami Heat to fall to 3-5, and five, and is their third straight loss after losing to the Pistons and the Hornets. Yes, that's right, the Golden State Warriors going to Charlotte, Detroit, and Miami and losing all three. By the way, Miami was without the service of the Tyler Hero from early in the game after getting poked in the eye incidentally by Moses Moody. So they really had the work put on them by Jimmy Butler and Max Struess. I'm just saying, it's kind of funny. The Clippers... Kawhi Leonard, injury management so far, going to miss at least the next six games. Reggie Jackson looks out of it. Is it the arrival of John Wall that's putting him at unease? Is it just general malaise? I don't know. But all I do know is that when you watch a lot of Clippers basketball, you see a lot of both Jackson and Norman Powell chucking up jumpers all the time. Paul George just hasn't looked like himself. He's rounding into form. Uh, maybe that big shot against the Rockets will kind of help him get back to playoff P early. I'm being a little funny there. Uh, but to be fair, he had a bounce back game against Houston. 35 points on 15-26 shooting. Made half his threes, nine rebounds, eight assists, six steals. That's the stat-stuffing Paul George that we know. Unfortunately for the year, although the numbers on the surface are okay, 21 points, uh, seven boards, just under four, or just under five assists a game. Uh, he's shooting 43% from the field, pretty low. 31% from three, that's not great. True shooting, pretty low. You know, even for a guy who takes uh, tough contested jumpers like Paul George is prone to do, true shooting's not great. 53.9, which is close to his 53 from last year, which will be his lowest in what looks like eight years. So, don't really know what to make of that outside of, is it too much of an outsized role in the offense he has to carry? Is it just him trying to find his form and not settle for tough shots? The Clippers right now are are calling it easy right now. Hey, we got to play with more urgency, yes. But, you know, I think they're looking at like, hey, we don't have our guys all together. We have a deep team. We should be fine. Oh, the Lakers thought that last year. And no, I'm not comparing the Clippers to the Lakers like that. As a Lakers fan, I can get a little biased. What I mean is, 
it can get late real early. <laughs> and so for the Clippers and the Warriors, I do find that interesting, although I, I'm, I'm confident both teams will bounce back, both with health and just rounding into form. The Warriors, listen, they get a little bit more of a slack because you just won the championship last year. You know what it takes, and you're playing a lot more of your younger players' rotation-level minutes that didn't have to play last year. Last year was Gary Payton II, Nemanja Bielitsa, and Otto Porter, who got a lot of minutes that are now going more to Jordan Poole, who for the most part played well, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and James Wiseman. And with those younger players assuming more minutes, there's going to be more mistakes, going to be more um, possessions lost, and more time to gel with the starters and, and the core of the Warriors. That might lead to some losses, so I'm not too worried about that. Timberwolves, whole nother story. What an interesting team Minnesota is. Some days they look halfway decent. Other days they look like what I fear they would be, which is a team that tries to go bold on experiment to do a Twin Towers lineup or something and end up falling well short. In this case, starting lineup struggles. Timbers fall back to 500. I don't understand what Minnesota is doing. I just think that their starting lineup isn't the best right now. And yeah, uh, you're not you're not changing Rudy Gobert and Carl Town. So you're really looking at your three perimeter players. That's G- that's D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Jaden McDaniels. I'll tell you right now, Jaden McDaniels is not he's not playing the three the way you would hope that he would. And by that I mean he's barely taking outside shots at all. Not that he's shooting them well if he was, right? He's shooting thirty percent from three. But get this on just 2.9 attempts per game. That is pitifully low. Seven shooting attempts a game in general, but just two of those being threes. How are you spacing the floor for your big two when that is happening? I'll tell you, you're not. Just the simple just simple fact. And so I do think that's unfortunate there because it is limiting spacing for Cat and Gobert to operate from. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has not had the strongest of seasons up to this point so far. He just hasn't. 15 points and 6 assists. Look okay. 40% from the field. 27% from 3. Not great. Doesn't get to the line as is. And when he is shooting 78%. Not super great either. Anthony Edwards? I mean, I I guess the best thing you say about Anthony Edwards, he's looking pretty much like last year. 23-6-4. Taking just under 8 threes a game. Shooting at a 34% clip. Pretty efficient from 2. Not getting the free throw line too much, but third on the team in terms of that behind uh, the two bigs in, in Townsend Gobert. Not shooting the free throws very well, 64%. But even then, that's not super great because you were expecting, I know I was, Anthony Edwards to take a huge leap. And it hasn't happened as of yet. So, unsure as to where that's going. But the Wolves need someone to step up in a major way. Townsend Gobert, numbers-wise, look okay, but the court fit looks clunky. It does. You know, uh, you see Towns find Gobert a lot on some high-low action, which I think is really interesting, but teams like Phoenix last night can decide, hey, we're just going to crowd crowd the Towns, double-team him, make things difficult. He's the only big with some offensive offensive dynamic that is more versatile 
than Gobert's, which is finishing around the rim, knowing that Towns can put the ball on the floor a little bit, knowing that Towns can shoot from range. We're going to make it difficult for him to get any type of offense and see who else can beat us. And going from the micro into the macro, the Wolves didn't have anyone that could do that. As Anthony Edwards kind of tried to get fire late in the game, but last night the Timberwolves did lose the Suns 116-107. to Got to figure out what's going on here. Got to figure out what's going on. Because right now, Minnesota haven't given up a haul. And it's very early. Very early. But let's just run through this one more time. They gave up their 2023 unprotected first. Their 2025 and 2027 unprotected first. Their 2029 top five protected first. Their 2026 pick swap. The number, 2020, uh, the number 22nd pick in Walker Kessler. Also Malik Beasley, also Patrick Beverly, also Jared Vanderbilt, and also Leandro Balmero, which Balmero's not a big factor. But all those other guys, with the exception of Walker Kessler, who's a rookie, solid rotation level players. All of that for Gobert. And yes, it's only been eight games, but four and four, playing a pretty soft schedule, not what the doctor ordered. Certainly not what Minnesota was hoping or expecting to be the case. I'm not going to go on and, and yell, you know, doom and all of that because it's too early to do that and i am the king of jumping on things too early and making bold proclamations but i've been burned enough times that's not gonna happen bottom line i I do think minnesota has some issues to kind of work out and i look forward to watching some of these games again to kind of articulate better what these issues may be and how minnesota can bounce back i do recommend the dane moore podcast um Dane does a great job of breaking down the Minnesota Timberwolves and the coverage there, and I think that it is a show that is beneficial for fans of the Timberwolves and also, you know, getting that more in-depth coverage of the team. He also has a, a, a Britt Robeson, a writer uh, in Minnesota on regularly who writes some really good articles, and they have some good discussion on the Timberwolves, so I would definitely recommend checking that out uh, just for more context than what you're getting here right now. Um, like I said, in time, though, I hope to bring more. On the east side, we got, we got to go to the east side. We're going to save the Lakers for a, a deeper show um, a little bit later because the Lakers right now, they won their first game. As a Laker fan, I'm happy about it. But this team is a mess. And between Miles Turner talks and Russell Westbrook off the bench and you know LeBron chasing Kareem and AD playing hobbled, there's too much to pack into the show that is already going pretty long here. Um, want to catch up on the week, but I still want to get y'all in and out. Not going to give y'all a two-week show <laughs> to make up for the two weeks that, you know, Round Ball Round Ball has not been consistent here. But going to the NBA Eastern Conference, listen, I feel I was a little bit on board, a little bit more on the right track, a little bit more on board with what I had. Although Brooklyn not being in the top five, not even the top ten, that's a little surprising. I had... Philadelphia number one, Brooklyn number two, Boston number three, and Milwaukee number four. Actually, looking back, you might as well just take all of my predictions and throw them out. It's still early, but the Bucks right now are sitting pretty at number one, the only undefeated team left in the NBA. Cleveland Cavaliers behind just a dominant stretch by Donovan Mitchell are number two. Boston Celtics are number three, which is the only one I had right again. The Toronto Raptors are number four. The Atlanta Hawks, five. The 76ers are looking mighty like Minnesota at a 4-4 record. 
Then you have the Knicks, the Bulls, the Wizards, the Hornets, the Pacers, the Heat, and last and least, the Nets. I'm just kidding. The Pistons and Magic are there too. Um, And honestly, I say last and least the Nets because the Pistons have showed a lot of fight these last couple of games all season, if I'm being totally honest with you. And I've loved the way they've played. Between Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, um, Boyan Bogdanovich, who just signed an extension for the Pistons, I'll take him through his age 35 season. Like, these guys have been just standout players, but Jalen Duran, before he got injured recently, was another solid contributor. And you can't forget um, Beef Stew out there, Isaiah Stewart. Like, the Pistons have some just guys who put their hard hat on and play good ball, and you love to see it. And the Magic, Magic are 1-7, but let's face it, Paulo Bancaro is a straight-up superstar. God puts 20 points together so easy, it's like he's slapping together sandwiches or doing this sleep. It's not even that hard. And I do feel like the Magic would be better if they had at least one decent point guard available right now because, sadly, they do not. Jalen Suggs is going to return from that sprained ankle, um, but he's not playing major minutes as of yet. So, And even when he was coming off a rookie season, that was honestly horrific, right? So it remains to be seen how he gets back together. Markel Fultz, still been out with that broken toe. His status of return is uncertain. Cole Anthony had that oblique injury. He's been out for a minute, and his status is uncertain. So if you don't have a point guard to really run the offense, you're going through some freaky, funky lineups, which I actually like, with Franz Wagner as your offensive initiator or the rookie Paolo Bancaro as your offensive initiator, sometimes R.J. Hampton. Like, you've had a few different players there, but none of them are naturally point guards to get you into your offensive sets, and it shows. The growing pains of all of that is there, and I think that's a big reason why the Magic are 1-7. I mean, they went almost seven minutes without scoring a point in their latest loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And mind you, Thunder are playing better. They definitely are, but you don't go that long without scoring a point against a team that isn't the most renowned in defense, at least with their young core. So, I don't know. I think that's interesting just from where they stand. But looking at it, like I said, this NBA, so early, every team has played about six games or thereabouts, and it's crazy. Eastern Conference, a little more close to what we expected with Boston and Milwaukee being at the top. The Cavs have been playing surprisingly well. Raptors in the mix. But all these teams, I think, also show you the level of parity that exists right now in, in the association. You have four teams that maybe stand out. I'd, I'd say five that stand out about above the rest. The Bucks are 6-0. and The Suns are 6-1. and The Cavs are 5-1. and The Trailblazers are 5-1. and The Jazz are 6-2. and Then the Celtics are 4-2. and You can even throw the Spurs in there 5-2. and Every other team has lost at least two to three games. Or at least three to four games. You have four different teams with four and three or four and four records on the West. With the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Thunder, and the Wolves. Mavericks are three and three. On the East, same thing. Raptors four and three. Hawks four and three. 76 four and four. Knicks three and three. Bulls four and four. Wizards three and four. Hornets three and four. Like, it's so good as a fan because you don't know what game's going to be a good matchup. You know, what game's going to go down to the wire? What team might catch another team slipping? You know, it's it's fun in that way. But at the same time, not one team has said, you know what, except for maybe Phoenix, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns, and you can't beat us because we're the best team in, insert the conference, in, insert the league, and that's just the way it's going to be. 
The Jazz right now have just been catching people slipping, and they've been playing really well. Inspired defense, good activity. Blazers, you can make the same point. The Bucks have been probably the only team, excuse me, that's really been like that because 6-0, and they haven't lost. Phoenix did have a little bit of a letdown, but the Bucks have not lost at all. Anyway, I'm going to run through my last takes here, not only for posterity's sake, um, because I feel like most of these are probably going to be wrong, but just to give us a way to wrap up this show. Uh, my predictions for MVP, Defense Player of the Year, Most Improved Player, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, and NBA Champions. Here we go, and we'll see how close or way off I am uh, by the end of the year. So, for MVP, I'm already regretting this. And mind you, I'm not regretting this just because of the numbers, because the numbers, I'm not regretting this because of the numbers, rather, because the numbers aren't bad for this player that I'm about to mention. But just the optics of him staying healthy uh, and really being able to give an MVP-type performance while other players are also playing at a high level, I am starting to second-guess myself on. That player is Anthony Davis. Yep, that's right. I have Anthony Davis as my pick for MVP. With a caveat, I said in parentheses, if healthy, if not, I will go for Luka Doncic. Now, let's talk about Anthony Davis just for a second, because like I said, his numbers aren't bad at all if we look at them. Um, well, they are if we're talking about shooting from three. 23 points per game, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, shooting in the low 50s, so that's not super great from the field. Shooting in the low teens from three, that's not going to do it right? But even worse, I think he's had so many games now that he's had to battle hampered. Like, he's had to play injured. And at some point, he's going to have to sit out a bunch of games. I just know this. And it's unfortunate that AD's a player has to do with these types of recurring random injuries, whether it be a nagging back or something with the knee or whatever the case may be. But it is his cross to bear because of what he had to deal with. And with that being the case, I do worry, okay, is he going to be able to play enough games at a high enough level to be in a consideration? When I started the season and was just naive, I said absolutely. Looking back on it now, seeing him hobble over the last uh, three out of four games with one of those games being missed entirely because of his injury, I say maybe not. And that's where I go to Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, the Mavericks right now don't have the best of record, but we're talking about a guy averaging 36 points per game, nine rebounds and eight assists, shooting 50% from the field, which is not great, and 22% from three, which is also not great. But being the single engine for Dallas that really just stirs the drink for them makes things go the total conductor still can't be stopped and you know a shooting range is going to come around all that needs to come around with that is the play of the Mavericks to be more consistent and the upper echelon of the West for it to happen we don't want a Russell Westbrook type MVP to be given to Luka Doncic not that I wouldn't mind it because the MVP is the MVP but only for then players to just you know go after that person and badmouth them when their career struggles later why well, i'm sorry i'm not getting too personal with the current player yes i am all right defense player of the year i had draymond green as of right now no but i did think he was gonna have a reoccurring um uh, not reoccurring a bounce back year um with him having a reoccurring uh name in the race for defense player of the year uh especially after all the drama with the warriors and jordan Poole really thought he would come back to form and so far he's been okay not someone I have there right now. Probably Brooke Lopez above <laughs> Draymond Green as Defensive Player of the Year. 
but that's me. Most improved player, Anthony Edwards, so far not looking too great. Anthony Edwards is putting up Anthony Edwards' numbers. It's just they're the exact same since last year. I was thinking he put up like 27, 5, and 5 or something. Not as of yet, and so for that, I put a pause on. Rookie of the year had Jabari Smith Jr. I was very high on Jabari Smith Jr. last year in the draft process. Really thought he could be a standout, knockdown shooter. And so far, from three, he has been. (laughs) It's from anywhere else that's been the issue. uh, Not named the free throw line. So, not sure how I feel about that. Um, Also, Paulo Bancaro's just been a monster. And... The way he's been playing, the rookie deer won't even be close. And by that, I mean it will not be my selection. <laughs> so, that is my pick there. Sixth man of the year, Lonnie Walker. Can't work for two reasons. One, he's been starting. Um, Coach Darvin Ham has put together a lineup that basically consists of Pat Beverly, um, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, and LeBron in AD. With Russ coming off the bench. So, Lonnie Walker just won't be... A, a six man enough to qualify and also he's had up and down gear so far himself as well really coming to form recently but just something to point out coach of the year i had tyrone lou with the dark horse being darvin ham if the lakers won enough right now they just won their first game against denver so safe to say darvin ham maybe another time your time's coming but not this year as for tyrone lou it's possible still could very well happen but as of right now, the signs are not super great for Tyrone Liu and Los Angeles Clippers to have him as coach of the year. So anyways, whew, that was a show and a half, almost 50 minutes. Welcome back, right? Like I said, we'll get some more continuity here, some more order. I just wanted to catch up, get back on the mic, get back up to speed here with Brown Ball Ramble, let y'all know where I've been at Headspace-wise and where I'm at right now, what I hope to bring, you know, coming back, you know, weekdays, just bringing in content like that. And yeah, just getting back on the show, it's been a minute, you know, it's not exactly like riding a bike, you know, you gotta get back on and, and get to moving and, and see how it comes and see how it flows and this is going all sorts of places, so we're just gonna call it a wrap right here, but please check out myself on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Ladies, gentlemen, stay safe. I love you. I'm Frosty. Y'all stay frosty and I'll talk to y'all tomorrow. Alright, you